Hello and welcome to the Jazz Jam Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Gunnels, joined by my co-host, Max Levy. And on today's episode, we're going to be getting into an album by the fantastic modern jazz trumpet player, Christian Scott uh, Atunde, also known as, now known as Chief John Atunde Ajua. Um, so kind of had a name change so we i refer to him as christian scott a lot um but also known as chief john as well so yeah i'm excited the record we're going to be getting into is his 2015 release called stretch music and um really unique because it has kind of the recording introduction or debut of elena Penderhughes, who we've gone over on the album already but before we get into the album itself um We want to do our kind of jazz question of the day, but we're going to take it in a different direction, uh, seeing as it is the holiday season and Thanksgiving is um, on Thursday. We're recording this on Monday, but Thanksgiving is this week. So happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And for our jazz question of the week this week, we're going to be doing a a draft like so um, a draft of jazz or sorry, of Thanksgiving foods. So basically what we'll do is um we'll decide who gets the first pick and we're gonna make our like top five team as if we're drafting like a basketball team of of thanksgiving food so i think it'll be a a fun challenging interesting um thing to do and kind of a little different max are you ready to to get into our draft and uh see who drafts the better thanksgiving food team i'm ready it's gonna go down uh we'll see what happens it's also my birthday this week oh yeah Max is getting old on us. Yeah. A lot of celebration, and we'll probably get some great KC barbecue for the birthday and then go right into Thanksgiving food for Thursday. So I'm looking forward. It's going to be a great food week for me. Wow, yeah, for sure. That is, yeah, Joe's barbecue. That's that's the spot. That's right. In Kansas City. Cool. Well, let's get into the draft itself. We're going to do a coin flip to see who goes first. Max, uh, I'll let you pick. uh, Go ahead and pick heads or tails. I'm flipping it right now. I always pick tails. Oh, it was heads, Max. Oh, that's not good. That's well, that means I get the <laughs> first pick. But it I mean, uh, who knows? And the way we're gonna do it is we're just gonna switch back. We're not gonna do a snake draft. We're just gonna do back and forth. Um, so one pick each until the draft is over. I'm going right. to put our lists in the notes here. Um I am uh I'm drafting for the Washington Wizards, if anyone wonders. Oh, okay. That's that sucks <laughs> for you, Max. <laughs> uh, what a bummer. Yeah, they don't seem to draft very well, so maybe Max can actually help them out. That's, all right. Yeah, that was what I was thinking. So, all right, for my first, for the first pick in the Thanksgiving food draft, I'm going with squash casserole. I think casserole is Whoa. the reason that there is Thanksgiving, and I think squash casserole is the best. So that's my my number one pick in the in the draft. That is a bold, very unique first draft, I think. I think it might be a little personal, um, but I think that it's I think it's so good. I think it's the best casserole in my opinion. So Well, I will have to disagree because my pick is gonna be green bean casserole. Oh, that's a good one. That's definitely I probably could have saved squash casserole and like thrown it in there later rather than to i could have like stolen green beans from you but i I wasn't thinking about it like that so 
All you right. made me jump the gun on casserole. That was not going to be my first pick, but I said I got to pick it before you do. So yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So my second pick in the draft, I'm going with dessert, and I think I got to pick this one before Max gets to this one. My second pick is going to be pecan pie. You can have it. No way. I like. Well, you'll see which one I like better. Oh no, that's wild. What's your okay? So what's your your second pick, Max? My second pick is pumpkin pie oh pumpkin pie that is I love pumpkin pie we might just have different tastes altogether. wow this is gonna be interesting yeah a little difference here um all right i what direction do i want to go in um so for my third pick i'm gonna pick homemade stuffing it's like specifically homemade i feel like i have to get to that one before max does because I think I need a well-rounded uh, thing here, so I'm gonna go with I'm going with homemade stuffing. Stuffing was on my radar. Good pick. Okay. Um, my third is gonna be something that the wife and I have been making every year the past few years, and that is macaroni and cheese. Oh, that's a great pick. That is that was high on my list. Yeah. That's a that's a good that's a good pick there, Max. All right. Um. So, what uh, my fourth pick now? I feel like I need a well-rounded meal. Um, I think for my fourth pick, I'm gonna go with another casserole. I'm gonna go with. Oh, this is tough. I think I'm going sweet potato casserole though. It's just like a classic Thanksgiving food, and I think you need some kind of potatoes, whether it's sweet or mashed. And I'm going sweet potato because I feel like that. And when you make it right with the the brown sugar and everything it's just it's so good so i'm going sweet potato casserole now it <clears throat> now would you call that candied yams yeah i'd say that that like that sweet potatoes are off the off the the board now okay all right i i'd say that's fair right yeah no you you got it we got to move on so okay. i'm doing my next pick is going to be one of the main uh dishes so we've been doing a honey ham dang so it That'll be my fourth pick. <laughs> oh, I, I don't want to take turkey, but I feel like I have to take an entree. Yeah, I'm taking honey ham as my fourth. That's a that's a great pick. That was gonna be that was gonna be my my I should have picked that instead of sweet potato casserole. So Max is going honey ham. I'm so much more of a ham than turkey kind of guy on Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, that's what we've been doing. I so. turkey just dries out too quickly. Well, if you make it right, it's awesome. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it a lot of harder. Work. Yeah, it seems harder to to do. And I just, when I'm around my grandparents, who my grandmother cooks really well, I just let her do those things. <laughs> yeah, and I'll help out with the other stuff. Yeah. Oh man. Um, I feel like I have to pick turkey, right? I can't. I can't have a list that's just all casserole, stuffing, and pie. Like I need to have. Turkey. I mean, you you could. It's your own list, but I would say you would need either turkey or ham to make it. Complete. I could go chicken. I could go dark horse chicken, like a roasted Ooh. chicken. I've never had that on Thanksgiving. I think that might be what I do because I think chicken's better than turkey. Or do I just go? I'll just go turkey. I'm going turkey you. and gravy. Turkey and gravy. That's a fair pick, right? 
You know, that's good. You, people's gravy recipes, you know, they'll die before they tell you what's in that stuff. Yeah, I think if you put the gravy on the turkey, we're good. So I'm I'm I think a combo turkey and gravy is a, a good a good fifth pick. And that's so that that completes my team. Max, what do you have for your your last pick? I see you don't have. Oh, you do have a pie. OK, let's see what Max goes with for his last pick. That is a good question. My last number five pick. Um, I'm trying to think. He already took yams, so that would be on my list. Um, let me think here. I guess I'm going mashed potatoes. That's a good. I I feel like you needed some kind of potato. Mashed potatoes yeah. are good. Because I already got, you know, our our green bean casserole, our mac and cheese, which I like to do every year. So we're doing mashed potatoes to, awesome. to complete to complete the food ensemble. I feel like we have very kind of different, but very uh, we have good meals. I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna list out um our kind of our Thanksgiving spread, and I'll put it on our Instagram, and you can vote for uh, whose Thanksgiving dinner you'd rather go to. So Max's, um, his Thanksgiving dinner is going to have, I'll go honey ham. It's going to have green bean casserole. It's going to have mac and cheese, mashed potatoes, and then pumpkin pie for dessert. So to me, that's, that's the one. That sounds delicious. The pumpkin pie, I could, I could take or leave, but you've definitely, oh, you're onto something there. And I feel like I have a few, a few things that are just like. I don't know that you can't miss. Um, so I've got turkey and gravy as my my meat, my entree, and then I've got squash casserole, which I think is just overpowered. Um, I also have sweet potato casserole, homemade stuffing, which Max is definitely missing the stuffing. Let's just be honest. Um, well, you got to it first, so that's true. And then uh, I've got pecan pie for my dessert. So two two is, yeah. two good dinners. I don't know. We'll have to see what people are are feeling. I think you would be just a tad more interesting. And, you know, I would like to try that squash casserole you're talking about. I got to come over next Thanksgiving or something. Yeah, for sure. My mom's squash. She makes it a lot, not just on Thanksgiving. My mom's squash casserole is really good. All right. I, I Yeah, I got to try that sometime. I think, yeah, mine's definitely a little bit more off the wall. Yours is a little more of the kind of the, the standards, except for I stole stuffing. But um, yeah, well, it happens. Cool. Well, let's get into the uh, the actual episode, the actual jazz music that people are here for now that everyone's hungry as I am. Um, so, yeah, we're getting into uh, the album Stretch Music by Christian Scott. It was recorded in December of 2014 and then was released in September of 2015. And it's on Ropadope Records, which is a record label founded in 1999 in New York City by Andy Hurwitz. And it's now in Philly and is owned by Lewis Marks. And it's known for recording jazz, hip-hop, gospel, and electronic music artists as well. And it has the likes of uh, Snarky Puppy and Layla Hathaway have both recorded for rope dope Records. So definitely some um, some interesting you know, newer jazz artists that have been on the record. And one thing that uh, I've already noted but is interesting to note is this album was the recording debut for Elena Penderhues, who is a jazz flautist who we've mentioned multiple times on the podcast already and she does some some really great work so we get to hear a little bit more from her so let's get into the personnel on the album max why don't you tell us about um give us the the wind players and i'll get into some of the the rhythm section players 
Yeah, as noted, the album is led by the trumpeter Christian Scott, also known as Chief Jean uh, Tunde Ajua. Trumpeter composer born in 1983 in New Orleans, Louisiana. He was tutored by his uncle, Donald Harrison Jr. If you don't know who Donald Harrison Jr. is, look him up. He's a great saxophone player. I believe he's now an NEA jazz master. And I had no idea he was uh, Christian Scott's uncle. That's a great connection Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Um, So Scott, by age 12, uh, was already kind of learning the music from his uncle. And then at 16, he was playing professionally, playing with uh, his uncle. And then he attended Berkeley College of Music. And he was soon signed to the Concord Record label in 2005. And he's released a huge number of albums, I think about 13 studio albums and three live recordings. He's also recorded or played with the likes of Marcus Miller, David Benoit, Prince, Stefan Harris, and many more. And as you mentioned, this album also features the flute playing of Elena Penderhughes, which we've discussed in episodes 10 and 12. And she was kind of a child prodigy. And she just has been working the scene all over the place the past uh, number of years. And we also get an alto sax player on a couple of tracks, Braxton Cook, who was born in Boston in 91. He grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is just outside of D.C. And he studied with the great Paul Carr, awesome sax player, while gigging in D.C. before he transferred uh, colleges from Georgetown to Juilliard, which is where he met Christian Scott. He has also performed with Christian Scott very extensively, as well as performing with the Christian McBride Big Band, John Batiste, Solange Knowles, and he now lives and plays in the Los Angeles area. So great to see Braxton Cook. He's an awesome player. Also, the trombonist Corey King is on this record. He's also a keyboardist and vocalist and composer born in Houston. And he studied at the New School in New York, and he has performed or recorded with the likes of Bonobo, uh, Dr. Lonnie Smith, Esperanza Spalding, Warren Hill, and many more. So that's your horn section on this record. Yeah, so definitely a, a really good horn section. Some some very young and um, now prominent uh, figures in the, the jazz scene these days. So it is cool to have Braxton Cook on, on this album for sure. Um, so cool. Let's get into the rhythm section. First, we have Cliff Hines on guitar. He's a composer and educator in the New Orleans scene. He is one of the leading voices of progressive music, and he has toured nationally and internationally, both with his own band, as well as a sideman for artists such as Ricky Lee Jones, Christian Scott, Mike Dillon, Sasha Mikowski, and um, Chris Royal and Aurora ne- uh, Neelan. So he's played with a lot of people. He has a very kind of New Orleans progressive, like rock, jazz kind of uh, feel to him. So it's cool to get that that here on this album and then we have uh, Lawrence Fields on piano he was born in St. Louis Missouri and grew up there he's performed extensively with Christian Scott he's his main piano player but he's um he's also an active player with saxophonist Joe Lovano and has also performed with Branford Marsalis Christian McBride and Jeff Tane Watts so we get Lawrence Fields on the piano on this one and then on bass, we have Chris Fun, who's born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland, and he learned the trumpet at age four, but then he started playing the bass by 14 years old. He attended Howard University and while he was gigging in the D.C. area, and then he went on to tour with Kenny Garrett when he was thir- uh, 23 years old, 
And since he's played with Sean Jones, Nicholas Payton, who we mentioned, Ferris Sanders, who we also uh, mentioned, and Warren Wolf, and as many as well as uh, some others. He's also a faculty member in the Peabody Institute and continues to play in the, the D.C. area. And then on drums, we get Corey Fonville, who we've already mentioned, and he is the drummer for the band Butcher Brown, which is um, basically his group. And we discussed them on episode eight when we talked about the album Camden Sessions. So if you want to know more about Corey, go there and check him out. Um, They're a Richmond, Virginia-based band. And then we get uh, Joe Dyson Jr., who is on drums and percussion. He grew up in New Orleans. And his family was very music-oriented. He has played and performed with Donald Harrison Jr., Ellis Marsalis, and as well as Branford Marsalis. So probably pretty likely that Christian Scott has known Joe Dyson for, for a while since you know he's played with his uncle. And then uh, a really cool addition to the album is we get Warren Wolf on vibraphone on track seven. So we'll get to see a little bit of, uh, of Warren Wolf on the album as well. Yeah, it's a great cast, and there's a lot of great players on the album that I think interact really nicely. Corey Fonville is very fun to listen to on this record, as he seems to be in general. So um, just a great cast here. Yeah, for sure, yeah, and just lots of young jazz musicians, so it's it's cool to see what, what they're all about. Max, why don't you get us uh, started with the album breakdown with the first track, Sunrise in Beijing? Gladly. This one is an original composition from Christian Scott. It's got some nice keyboard sounds at the top. Very dramatic feel to me. And then the drum groove hits right at the 22nd mark. And the drum groove initially seems really busy, yet it's always driving. And it makes a lot more sense to me as the song continues to go on. And it lies well with everything else. You know, once you get past that hump of that first minute or so. Did you hear that? Did you? Did you? think the same thing what were you thinking there with that drum groove yeah it definitely kind of feels like it it starts out a little bit busier um but it feels like yeah throughout it kind of kind of settles in a little bit to me it almost feels like you know like you're it's sunrise in beijing you're kind of stuck in traffic almost and then as the song goes the traffic kind of clears out and you kind of settle in you're kind of moving along with traffic you're into a groove that's that's kind of like the feeling that that i get from it I think you're onto something there. A lot of this music creates images in my head, you know, imagery as we call it, that the music clearly depicts. And I think that's a moment where you're on point. We also get a lot of flute here. So this is, we're starting out hot with Elena Pinder Hughes on flute. And she has a lot of nice texturing and layering that's going on between her and the trumpet. So she starts out and then Christian Scott comes in with the trumpet entering in right after and eventually there's a little trumpet melody that's kind of equipped with longer notes. And I'm getting the sense that it's all about sound and it's all about texture here. You know, it's not about how many licks do you know? What are your improv chops? What's the harmony? How can we extend song form? It's all about sonic and, you know, the sonic approach and the texturing that's going on with the instruments. Um, so it's a great aspect to this track and there's other moments on this album where i get the same feeling and elena starts to actually solo right around 215 she's got a lot of nice lines great melodic contour in her phrasing there's some nice repetition at 240 she uses some higher notes at 252 and 312 showcasing her range on the flute it's it's uh, it sounds very easy to do but you know it's it's the flute is 
a little more particular than other woodwinds in the different registers with what you have to do with your embouchure. So she's doing that just naturally and really well, moving in and out of the different ranges on the instrument. She also has some nice repeated notes at 324, followed by cool syncopated upward moving ideas. And she continues to play off of a number of ideas that she played earlier in her solo. So there's a little lesson there. Don't forget what you played earlier in your solo. You could always go back to it, refer to it, and add to it later on in your improvisation. And I love the fast up and down lick that she does right at 352. And the groove seems to go a little harder. Corey Fonville adds some more syncopation in his drum set playing, if you can believe it. He's already adding enough, and then he he, he just goes one step further. And it's cool to hear Elena do those 16th note fast phrases on the instrument and to hear what Corey Fonville is doing behind her. So a lot of cool interaction between drums and flute on this one. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that they kind of stand out to me, and Elena's solo here really stands out to me. And it's just, she's, what a killer. She's so good. Her time, her feel, and her playing is just so good. The lines are so crisp and intuitive. It feels so thoughtful, you know, her playing. So it's awesome to get her featured here on the first track. Absolutely. There's another aspect to this track that I want your, uh, you know, kind of your opinion on, your expertise on. I'm hearing a lot of sort of sonic background noises, and to me, it's sort of either ethereal keyboard pads or something else. What do you, what do you suspect is is the instrument that's being used in to make those background noises? Any guesses? Yeah. So first off, off the bat, one the first thing that I noticed listening to this album is the intro is is really interesting because there's a decent amount of distortion in the keyboard, like the piano sound, which obviously pianos don't naturally have distortion to them. Um, so that's cool that they're making that choice to kind of distort the sound there. And like Max said, it's really all about the sounds here. And through the rest of the track, we get kind of just more of a typical, you know, smooth, regular piano sound on the track from Lawrence Field. So I think... Um, one thing that I do hear is there may be some keyboards that are layered in afterwards. It's, it's kind of hard to tell. It's like very background, like Max said. But I think one thing that we're hearing that kind of might not sound as typical as you would expect is the guitar player is playing some stuff and playing some through some effect pedals to get some kind of different effects and some different sounds and sonic ideas through to us. So I think there are times when they're, we're hearing the guitar and it doesn't sound what you'd expect a guitar to sound like, it's just kind of adding a layer of sound to the to the music there. So I think that um, that's one thing to listen for, for sure. I think you're right. And and those are some, some great points to, to make and for listeners to check out. I think all in all, the drums and Elena is really what to check out here with this first track. Um, the ending is also well played. You know, they, they kind of end it and taper off almost immediately. And that's hard to do all together. And with, you know, with what they're doing, it's, it's well done all in all it's, it's five minutes worth of music, but it doesn't seem that long to me. There's a nice overall arc and development, even though the melody itself doesn't really speak to me, the groove and the solos are definitely on point. And there's a lot of nice, nice movement, a lot of tasty development, at certain moments and it's great to hear what Corey Fonville is doing on that drum set. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we definitely kind of get, you know, a lot of Elena and Corey on this one, even though it's a Christian Scott, we kind of start out with featuring those, you know, the the other members of the band, which is cool. But then we get into the second track on the album, 
entitled Twin, which does heavily feature Christian Scott. So we're going to get a lot from Christian here. Um, and I thought it's interesting to kind of know what people are thinking when they write songs. And so I found a, an interview that Christian Scott had did, and he spoke about Twin and the writing of the song and kind of what the song means to him. So I just kind of want to um, point out a few things from that that interview and so Twin is, it's a song that he wrote for his identical twin brother uh, named Keel. And his brother is a film director and actually has worked with Spike Lee for a number of years. So he wrote this song about his brother and he said it was more like a conversation that he had with his brother. And they kind of just started to talk and conjecture about what their, what experiences in West Africa may have been like. And then kind of the trajectory of their ancestors all the way into Louisiana through Virginia and then into Louisiana. And so they were just kind of talking about what those experiences were like for their ancestors and what it must have felt like. And just kind of also about the cost and the, um, the fact that, you know, the course of their ancestors endured the experience of slavery and, you know, that what their people went through. So, um yeah, I guess, and for them, it came became kind of a, a heavy moment when they thought about the potential cost and all the damage that had been done, and you know, could have potentially been done. And so, I guess later on, um, after they were done with the conversation, Christian Scott was thinking of ways that he could rhythmically depict their ancestry in this kind of journey. And so, what you hear on the track is kind of um, the rhythms. You hear two trumpets, you know, um, on twins, and it's his attempt to kind of um bring that kind of twin element and you hear a lot of like uh west african influence with the the rhythms and then getting into kind of the latin caribbean and havana havana um feel and then into new orleans so that's he's kind of trying to create uh, a mixture of all of those cultures into the rhythms and then um the the melody itself he's kind of trying to give off the the twin thing so there's kind of two two melodies that kind of mix and kind of come in and out of unison. And um, initially they start off as like one egg is what he said, and then kind of split so that they're tandem um, sometimes. And then they're, you know, they're together at times and they're apart at times. So I think that's, that's really what he's going for there is kind of um, this harmony between twins and that kind of conversation. So I think that's a really interesting way to look at it and kind of think about the melody. And I think it's really interesting to note that, it is Christian Scott playing both of the trumpets. Like he's played the melody and then obviously he's gone and, and overdubbed it. So when you think about like a live recording, like this obviously has some elements of some post-production max, what do you think about, you know, his approach here and the, you know, what he's thinking and kind of this history of, of what he's trying to represent with this track? I think you're offering some great insight and information behind the thinking that goes on with a lot of composers you know they're trying to emulate things in their own life or experiences that they or somebody they knew um had experienced and and this is something that goes deep in history deep in in the the tradition um some of the are you know original foundings musically of jazz music can be traced to the era of slavery where you have you know sort of the idea of work songs and field hollers and call and responses you know that can be traced to that era and a lot of things that that went on at that time so it, it's it's great to make those connections number one and number two i just get an overall sense that this is an ode at, at moments to africa um 
and you get a lot of nice drumming, great percussion. The overdubbing trumpet is something that normally I, I would not dig, but in this instance, for the reasons that we know, you know, why he did it and, and the reasoning behind it, I think it fits and it fits well. He's blending well, even though it's it's him on top of him in terms of sound and production. Um, sometimes that can be hard to do depending on what you're doing. And and he's treating those two different trumpet parts quite differently. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, he's not just um, outlining a melody and then harmonizing with that melody and calling it a day. He's kind of creating a melody. And then on top, you know, he's doing a different part and sometimes improvising in between, you know, the first trumpet um, uh, part or recording you know the part he probably did when they live recorded it and then the second part is when he overdubbed it um and i think the interactions between those two trumpet parts are really unique are something to listen for and it's a great aspect to this track and i'm it kind of makes up for the lack of trumpet feature that occurred on the first track here we're getting you know double the trumpet we would expect and i like that yeah, for sure. And it's it's interesting because it does feel like there's a lot of, like you kind of mentioned, interplay between the trumpets, which would it almost feels harder to do after the fact than it would be to do live with someone. So he obviously knows, you know, like it's it's I think it's well done for what it is. And I think he's representing that twin theme really well. And it makes sense that he would be playing both trumpet parts on it, given the the twin aspect. And it's about his brother, you know, so a copy of himself. Absolutely. And I do want to mention, sometimes it's interesting to hear those two trumpet parts, um, you know, when they're playing more together and they're playing higher notes, it almost sounds like a, a synthesizer instead yeah. of two trumpets, yeah. um, you know, kind of more towards the end when they're, they're playing both, uh, when Christian Scott is playing both trumpet parts in the higher register. Um, it's so high together and, and, and it's I blended don't know. super well to where you kind of get that kind of wave form feeling like a, a synthesizer i definitely get what you're what you're saying there absolutely yeah so it's, it's great to listen for those those key moments and i love the west african drums as well um and the ending to this track is is really cool too yeah yeah i like the end i'm gonna get into a little bit of the meat of the track before the end um, I think the solo section is interesting. Like Max said, it kind of has both trumpets playing at the same time and kind of in unison at times and then out of unison at times, you know, doing their own things. And I think that's super cool. Um, I have heard live versions where both uh, Christian Scott and Elena take a solo, which obviously you're going to do it that way live instead of this way on the recording. Um, I really like some of those recordings when they both kind of take and Christian Scott kind of goes a little bit, you know, gets a little bit more into a solo and develops it a little more. And I really could have gone for an Elena solo on this track. I mean, when Elena's on the album, honestly, I just can't get enough. And I just, there's an NPR recording where she plays this, this track. She, her solo on this track, go check out the uh, Christian Scott's NPR. She absolutely kills it on this track. So I just, I think of that and I kind of, I, I kind of long for that when I'm listening to the album version sometimes now. So maybe I'm a little bit spoiled in in that aspect. And one thing that's interesting is it never really goes back into the actual melody. Um, all the backing instruments just kind of fade out. And it's just the two trumpets like Max was talking about sometimes in that higher register. And yeah, and then there's kind of a pause. And then it goes into like an African hand drums and drum set for like the last 45 seconds of the track. So we really get that ode to West African music there with kind of the 
the African hand drums and the the drum feature there, like Max was talking about. Yeah, it's kind of like a false ending. Um, yeah, because there's quite a bit of space in between, you know, the end of the trumpet and then the beginning of that drumming. Um, it, I, I thought that drumming when I first was listening to it, it was the feels start like a new track. Yeah, it was yeah. the start of the next track, but it wasn't. It was the end of this track. And I, I think that one, you know, that um, sort of play out of events, you know, that um, outline really adds so much to the depth of this track, which already had a lot of depth to it when you know the the intent behind it and the the, the musical nuances that are going on. And there's also just a, a more of a sense of humanity in this track because there's some cool human elements you can especially hear towards the beginning where you're hearing clapping on the, the it sounds like clapping, like human clapping, two hands coming together um, in that beginning. And in it, there's just a just some nice interaction and overall it's it's a well well played track. Yeah, for sure. So after that one we get the third tune on the album called Perspectives. This is an original again by Christian Scott. It's court it's uh, kind of a slower tempo. I'm getting big broad sounds and it reminds me of the inside of a cave. There's a sense of an echo that's occurring with with the sonic approach of perspectives and here we get an initial disagreement from me and Dwayne that <laughs> went on for a little bit and and it's a cool aspect to this track perspectives and that is what is the time signature to me i was feeling it in 3 4 almost immediately almost right away you know all throughout the the outline of the melody and the solo and the feel and Dwayne said I was wrong, and he was hearing 4-4. Four, four. And there's some reasons for that. Dwayne, why did you hear 4, and why did that differ from me hearing it in 3? Yeah, so when I was listening to the track, I was kind of looking at Max's notes, and he said 3-4, and I'm listening, and I'm just like, I'm trying to hear it in 3, and to me, I'm hearing it in 4, which is like, so I'm like, Max, are you sure that this is in 3? Like, I'm, I'm feeling this in 4. And I think that the biggest reason that I'm feeling it and that it can be felt. And so that's, it's interesting about time signatures because it's, it's about the way that you feel the music. Like, where are you feeling the pulse? Where are you feeling the one, you know, what, what's the perceived one. And so to Max, Max, I think one thing that's interesting about this track is the melody and the harmony all kind of moves in threes for sure. You can feel that movement and it's more, it makes more sense in three than it does four. But then if you were to just isolate the drums and what Corey Fonville is playing, and just listen to that, it's a 4-4 groove. I mean, it very much feels like it's 4, and he's playing on the 2 and the 4. So for me, when I'm listening to the track and I'm kind of getting into the groove, I felt it in 4, you know, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense with the melody and harmony because that would leave some of the changes on the 4th beat of one of the measures, and, you know, and it definitely is feels like it's grouped into 3s. But for me, I'm, I'm, I'm locking into what Corey's doing, and I'm like, this... I'm feeling this in four, like this feels like four to me. And for me, it feels like he's playing those backbeats, those twos and fours, rather than it being like playing on two and then playing on the first beat and the third beat of the next measure, which I guess if you're playing in three, that's how you'd have to interpret the the drums. So that's that's kind of my perspective on on the whole thing. Well, it really reflects the title of the tune. Yeah. It's called, it's called Perspectives, and I guess it's called Perspectives for a reason. Because in one perspective, if you're listening to the drum groove, it's in four, like you were saying. And if I 
you know, if I was listening to just harmony and melody, it feels like it's in three to me. So depending on the perspective there, you can realize the same thing in two different ways. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because we were kind of debating it. Like, and I was like, you know, we kind of were at a disagreement, like not, you know, like I was like at a point to where we weren't going to agree whether it was in three or four. And then I just kind of said, well, Max, what if it's in both? Like, what if the drums are playing a four, four groove? And what if, if the song is really in three, if you think about the melody and the harmony, which is what we're going to kind of lock into when we're thinking about the song. And I was like, what if it's in both? What if it's kind of three, four and four, four kind of together. And it makes this kind of 12 beat pattern, you know, like back after 12 beats are all back on one, you know? So, and we're like, wow, you know, that would make sense. Perspectives, like my perspective on it and the, your perspective were different. The way that we perceive the tune and the feel was different. And I can't help but to think that that was, that was intentional. Absolutely. Um, if not, it's a, it's a great coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think you're right. It, it, it's intentional. It plays with your perspective. You know, what part are you listening for? And at times, you know, there are it, as I thought about it in Dwayne's perspective, I could make sense of it if yep. I was thinking four four. Yep. And that's the crazy thing about, um, what's going on yeah. is once I heard Dwayne's, you know, point, I listened for it in his way. And I said, you know what? You can get away with thinking of it in four. Um, and I was, I have one reservation on that, which is until the trumpet solo, there are moments in the trumpet solo where it seems very odd to start to think about it in four, where the harmony and the sonic noises kind of uh, hit and are emphasized. To me there, it really outlines three, four. So to me, that may be my only standing question. Um, is that it doesn't quite feel in four during the trumpet solo. But when we talk about the melody, I could hear it in both ways. So to me, initially, it was an easygoing four-measure melody that was being played on the trumpet that's repeated four times, and that's in three-four. So four, three-four bars repeated four times. If I listened to it the other way in four-four, it was three measures of four, four that was repeated four times because the last um, sort of harmony hit, you could hear that being hit on B two of a four, four measure and not on B one of a three, four measure. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the, the start and the ends of the melodic phrasing could be perceived in both in three, four and in four, four. And I would not have a big issue with that. So it's a really cool aspect of that album. Did you hear that? with the melody right there yeah for sure and i think that that's it's unique because it kind of goes into like it kind of makes you think about life and like how people have different perspectives and at first like max and i didn't we were like just trying to like be like no this is like how it is like this is my perspective this is how i see it and then i like i started to listen to it and i was like well no i can this is i can count this in three and i can make sense of it in three and i guess max kind of had the same experience he was like no i can see where Dwayne's coming from like you could count this in four you know like in it it could make sense to someone who sees it that way and so i thought it was it was kind of a unique experience and kind of speaks to like different things in life not necessarily just music and i think that's probably what christian scott's trying to get us to do here is kind of look at it in that lens like so i thought it was unique and yeah after like i was like no i'm gonna see this from max's point of view like from the three four point of view and i was like it makes sense doing that too you know like i can make sense of it you know either way which is super cool
Yeah, it just seems to make a little bit more sense to me in three when you try and organize the melody and you try and organize the harmonies and the sonic approaches that are going on and um, what would be the easiest way to feel it if I was improvising over it. It seems to me that would be in three, four. Um, so that's was my conclusion after thinking about it in both ways. And here we're getting a lot of uh, muted trumpet as well, which reminded me of Miles Davis a little bit. Dwayne, did you hear that or, or did you have any other thoughts on what's going on? Yeah, I definitely I get the Miles Davis influence. But one thing I think that's interesting to note is that our perspective on music is definitely slightly different. Max being a horn player and me being a rhythm section player, you know, I might be tuned in. I'm tuned in with the drums because that's I'm so used to that's what I'm used to listening for. Right. When I'm playing, I'm listening to the drummer because I'm, you know, playing in our organ trio. I'm the rhythm section. I'm the bass and the chords like I'm listening to the drummer. So I think that was that might be why that that happens. Max is listening to the melodies, listening to the chords, because that's what Max does when he plays. Like he's got to be listening to the chords, listening to the melodies and moving with the melody. And for me, I'm always tuned into the drummer. So I think that's kind of it's interesting that our ears went in those different directions. That's a great point. Musically, we're doing um, two different sorts of of, of parts of the the main four elements of music you know if we think about those four they're harmony melody meter and rhythm so i'm enamored with the melody because in a in a concert setting or at a gig i'm gonna have to play the melody on the horn as part of the ensemble whereas um and and where where's the harmony placed so that i can improvise over it but you might be more enamored with um rhythm and meter and feeling the drums because you're part of the rhythm section. And so you have to lock in very nicely with what the drums are doing. You know, your left hand is, is keeping the beat and driving the quarter note beat or feel, and the drums are accentuating what you're doing. And so those two parts have to be super locked in behind me, whatever way I'm feeling it, um, you know, in order to, to go and, and succeed in what I have to do in the ensemble. So that's a great point. We're both hearing it in two different ways, also because we perform two different parts of the ensemble. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, moving on, you know, Christian Scott offers some stuff here. There's some great shorter phrases he uses at the start of his solo. Lots of longer notes that are sometimes preceded by eighth note or dotted eighth note, sixteenth I. 16th note ideas and most of his phrases end with notes that are held out longer than you would expect it's another moment where i'm hearing some later miles davis influence in his playing and it's another moment to me that also screams that this is musically concerned with sound texture and blend more than chops and and you know complicated harmony and then we get a, a trumpet melody that was from the beginning. He comes back in at 229. And he, you know, all in all, he's using a lot of straight tone. And there's even longer notes that are played after that second repeat of the melody. And it's as if it's an extended ride out section where they gradually get softer dynamically and less involved. It's sort of a natural fade that actually fades the last um, two seconds within a studio fade. So it's a it's a long drawn out natural fade that ends with sort of an immediate studio fade, and I kind of wish that they had done the cutoff studio fade, um, 
either either extend that or only do a natural fade combining the two didn't seem to work that well and i just questioned the ending a little bit to me the natural fade would have been cooler and just if you had just seen that out um and expressed that full length in my opinion for another five or ten seconds it, it would have been in and of itself more musically interesting and that reminded me of some moments on this on the um, album in the spirit of in two that we reviewed and discussed from Indigo Makatini. This ending reminded me of that record, and it reminded me of the bad things I did not like in that record. Yeah, I definitely I think it's interesting. Like, why do both? You know, like why have a studio fade as well as doing like a a decrescendo, like you know, an actual fade with a band? It it seems like you could just do one or the other. Um. Yeah, I don't, you know, like, it seems like, let's just pick one. I'm fine with the studio fade if that's what you want to do. And that's, you know, it's common for that to happen. You just kind of play the track out um, and just let the studio fade happen. But yeah, or just do a normal fade. I would have been fine with them just fading out themselves. So I, I definitely get what you're going there. I do like um, the reference to Miles Davis, the influence here. I feel that. And I feel like we get some more of the, you know, the fusion-esque side of Miles here that with the sound here and the way that Christian Scott's focusing on the texture. And so we kind of get that kind of Miles Davis fusion feel going on here. And that's something that seems like Christian Scott is pretty heavily influenced by in, in general. I think you're right. Dwayne, what's up next? What's the fourth track on the album? So the fourth track on the album is probably the one that stands out the most to me um and i think is probably going to make both of our top threes it's entitled west of the west and um once again christian scott spoke about this song in an interview um this is one of the other songs that um, i'm going to get into kind of what he says about on the the album and it's one that, that stands out so it's important to know what he's thinking um and you know he says that the mantra in the song is based off of traditional blues phrase. And if you listen to it, that boom, bo do, 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 like that's, that's a traditional um, blues kind of riff. And he said he's heard lightning Hopkins play it, but more notably when Jimi Hendrix played it in born under a bad sign. So you hear that same riff in born under a bad sign. Um, so he's taking that phrase. And one thing that he's doing is he's taking something that's in its core blues and rock as an extension of blues and then he tried to want to move it out into another realm and that's kind of getting at the the stretch element of the the album and what they do with it is they take it and they put it in seven four which is pretty unique um and he said that this track is is funny because it's about how much he he hated los angeles when he lived there and as a concept it grew into like all of the things um that he didn't like but it's just He's like kind of expressing that angst towards Sunset Boulevard and uh, the year that he lived in Los Angeles and kind of what he wasn't digging about it. So this song is kind of like a angsty rock blues from from Christian Scott. So it's cool to kind of understand like where he's coming from with that and what's what's motivating him when he's writing these tracks. I I love uh, the expression of hating L.A. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, it's so honest. It's so authentic. You know, we, we think about the weather and there's opportunity there, especially in music and entertainment, but there's always a catch. 
and I'm sure there's there's some things to really dislike about living there. And this really, really reminds me of another New Orleans artist, PJ Morton, who's uh, an R&B and soul artist. He's fantastic, by the way, great keyboard player. But he lived in L.A., and he was recording his album Gumbo there, and he actually moved from L.A. back to New Orleans to finish the album because he just he didn't like L.A. He didn't like recording it there. He didn't like the people's the what people were saying to him when he was trying to record the album so the track claustrophobic if you listen to pj morton's track claustrophobic it's about being in la and not wanting to record the album in la and feeling claustrophobic to the sound there and wanting to be able to express himself and not feeling like he could do that so that's like it's a super kind of interesting another new orleans guy who's kind of stuck in la um so listen to that track by by pj morton claustrophobic same kind of thing like I guess people from New Orleans, LA is just not their their kind of vibe. I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, interesting there. Let's get into the song um, a little bit itself. It's very rock fusion. Um, I love how they take that classic blues riff and turn it into a 7-4 groove. It makes it a little bit more interesting in my opinion. And there's just there's great space and a simple melody. It seems like that's the theme is the melodies are, are simple, but they highlight the groove well and it really does it well here. And I think that having the guitar solo first is just a fantastic choice. It makes sense given the the theme, the feeling of the song. Um, there's lots of space in the beginning of the guitar solo and a really cool tone, kind of that distorted, not super clean guitar sound, very rock oriented feel. And like we said, this album's all about the textures in the music in the music. So we get that kind of that hard, harder, you know, dirtier, distorted guitar sound here with this this kind of rock tune. Um, so, but then they dial the groove back a little bit after the guitar solo, and we get into um, kind of a Christian Scott solo, and he kind of plays kind of interspersedly at first, just kind of adding little bits here and there. And then we kind of get into an extended solo from Christian Scott, which is really nice to hear him kind of open up and stretch it out a little bit. Um, I love the higher range that he plays uh, with at 323. He's got a really great range and he can really, he's got great air support and he can really like belt, belt it out on the trumpet. So I think that's one thing he's known for um, pretty well. He's really capable of getting a lot of sound through the horn and he has a very big sound when he's playing in that range. Also love like the kind of fluttering at the end of the solo from 4:44 to the five minute mark. I think that was a really cool effect. And then we get a bass solo, which is awesome. And the bass solo is kind of a mix of both riffs, you know, blues riffs, and some actual some bass lines as well, which is cool. Um, there's fantastic feel in the bass, especially for it being in seven. Um, it can be hard to kind of, you know, think about how you're going to solo in different meters, and especially a meter like seven four, which doesn't have necessarily the same feel as a seven eight that would be divided like four plus three you know this kind of just feels like it's in seven like just you know a little bit different than a, a seven eight feel so interesting there and then we get a drum solo from Corey after the melody um as as the um oh so the riff kind of builds back into the melody after the bass so he starts go back into the rift a little bit and then they get into the melody at, at 626 and then after the melody we get that drum solo from Corey. and go ahead max yeah, I just want to say a couple things. Number one, I think it's great to listen for what the drums are doing behind the guitar solo. Mm -hmm. The way the way he's interacting with the guitar solo, it's cosmic. It it was, I was so enthralled with that. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> when I listened to the guitar solo, I was listening to the drums. 
And so Corey, Corey Fonville has a way of doing that. We kind of talked about that on Camden session as well. He is very, very unique and interesting to listen to. Yeah. And, and with the bass, you know, they're still using upright bass, you know, what you would use in a classic jazz uh, trio or ensemble. And sometimes when groups tend to use, um, this is a, a sort of idea to, to compose a song where you're fusing rock with jazz or you're getting somewhat of a Jimi Hendrix vibe to what's going on. They're going to want to use uh, electric bass. And I think it's so unique. It's so cool. It's so musically mature that they kept the upright bass because to me that is more complimentary in this setting than a than an electric bass would be and it it um sort of not only exemplifies the jazz tradition and so that is still a part of what they're doing which i really do appreciate but it also um creates a a fuller sound in my opinion and it's it's more unique to listen to because they're they're sticking with the upright bass and not doing electric bass yeah, Max, I 100% agree with what you're saying there. I think that's a fantastic point. I think if you were to hear this album in a show without a bass, you would think that it's going to be electric bass on this album. That's just kind of the modern thing to do. That would be what most people would do. But I love kind of sticking to the tradition of the music and having an upright bass. I think it's it adds just such a unique element and a unique sound to many parts of this album. So I'm 100% in agreement with that. I, I love the, the upright bass on this, Max. See, we can agree on something. We can, yeah. We just don't. <laughs> we agree it's in seven. There's like no arguing this one. It's in seven. Seven, four, though, which is unique because we usually get seven, eight in music. Um, But yeah, so we agree it's in seven. And Corey Fonville. I mean, it's just fantastic. I mean, Max says, you know, it's hard for Max to focus on the guitar solo because Corey's just, you know, killing it. And he kills it during his solo as well. There's really great development. And Corey's feel is just incredible. He's he's just he's got such a good sense of feel and you can't help but kind of feel it with him when when Corey's playing. So I, I love Corey's solo there. And then after Corey's solo, we just get the the melody repeated four times on the on the way out. And that's, you know, we end after that that repeated. I think all in all, there's a lot of direction on this track, West of the West. And to me, this is West of the West and East of the East. (laughs) And they're actually stretching on this one. And the title of the album is called Stretch Music. And this is the first time I'm actually personally um, uh, experiencing that stretch to me. Um, I'm sorry it, it... the first three didn't really go there but this one absolutely does and i love the directions it takes yeah for sure i think that thus far this track has really stood out on on this album um so uh definitely an appreciation for for this track and what it offers absolutely the fifth title um of this album the fifth track title is called liberation over gangsterism this is an original by christian scott there's nice syncopated keys and or guitar intro that seems to be preceded by some sort of percussive elements. Is this a, an Embira again? What were you thinking there? That's what I'm thinking. It really sounds like we're getting another Embira. So another ode to to that African music. It definitely feels like an Embira um, in the intro. Right. There's something going on there. And, and here we're cl- clearly in 4-4. Four, four but they're nicely playing with the feel. And so you can actually feel this in two or a fast four. Um, Uh So 
you know <laughs> <laughs> maybe another debate we won't get into had. it this time two four 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 pick you that to me you can say it either way it doesn't matter to me that's right those are so similar yeah um you know, there's no debate to be had, but it's it's interesting to listen for that. Yeah. And it seems like African drums or, or an ode to Africa is it's being present here. The flute and trumpet enter, and it reminds me of an easygoing walk through the jungle. It's, mm. I'm getting an image here where, where the flute and the trumpet are just nicely blended, and, and the vibe is, is such in a way that that's the image I'm getting. And it's definitely about sound again. There's more interaction between Christian Scott and Elena and the chordal instruments that's going on. Um, so it's cool to listen for that development. And the flute and the drums come out and are featured uh, just past the two-minute mark. I like this change of pace that occurs. The, there's sort of background repeating ostinatos as well, and there's an improv sort of horn line that ease up, and they let the flute take over with the percussive elements. And drums and flute come out and, and seems more centered, and uh, it's easier to listen to them, and there's a lot more development right there when that happens. Yeah, for sure. I think that um, this this track's cool. It's you know the sound is interesting. I think that one thing's really cool is the title of the track, the name of the track, and I think that's one thing that Christian Scott does well is he makes titles of the tracks you know that make you think about what what he's thinking when he writes the track so i think this one liberation over gangsterism it kind of puts you in a mindset like all right what's he thinking about when he's writing this track so you can you know you can perceive it how you'd like but i think that that's um an interesting thing about about this track and i just i love featuring elena on the flute on this track i think she fits the vibe of the track just so so well absolutely in that moment you know, right past the two minute mark seems like a moment of liberation to mm -hmm. me that, you know, the, the, the flute and the drums were sort of being limited and, and stifled and there they come out and Elena can do what she is best at. Um, and the drums are being more intricate as well, playing more intricate beat patterns. Sounds like a closed hi-hat and it, it's just being played with more intensity, but it's not necessarily louder. It's just a little busier, but a little more intricate. And you can hear that right around the 315 mark. Elena is everywhere on the horn, and you're right. It matches the song's intentions to a T. It's played so well. To end it, we get another studio fade, which I think maybe is a little lame or overdone. I, I think a cool, attentive ending would have just elevated the overall track a little bit. And I wish there was more trumpet. I'm not sure if I've heard a trumpet-led album before with less trumpet. <laughs> I don't know. True. This is another moment, and I'm going to talk about it more as we go on into the album, where I question the lack of trumpet at certain times on the on the album. Um, it seems odd to me, and I don't think everyone can get away with that. Yeah. And I think it does help to have a supporting cast like he does. Um, but there definitely are times when I want to hear what Christian Scott has to say about a certain sound or song. You know, like I want to hear Christian Scott play over some of these songs and sounds that they've got going. It's his album. I'm listening for him, you know. Um, so I definitely can agree there's times where I just want to hear something from Christian Scott and I kind of want to get his take on what's going on in the music. So I definitely can agree with you there, Max. All right. How about the sixth track on the album? Yeah. So the sixth track on the album is, is kind of a unique one. It's called The Corner. 
Um, it starts out with a bass groove and then we get uh, a Dilla beat from the drums. And so for people who don't know what a Dilla beat is, we might have mentioned it on the podcast before. It's a beat where you play the groove somewhere between straight and swung. So it kind of has this feeling that it's not exactly in the pocket or on the beat, but it is in the pocket. But it's the way that you play it is somewhere between straight and swung. So it has a unique laying back on the beat feel to it. Um, and so how Jay Dill is a, a, was a music producer, he's now passed um, and passed way too young. So he was a, a hip hop producer. And the way that he got the sound was by using a drum machine to produce hip hop beats. And so what he was doing was just chopping up things and like making beats. And so what he did is he kind of made a beat that wasn't exactly, you wouldn't think of it as like a human doing it, you know, necessarily naturally, but he made this beat that's got this unique pulse and feel to it and this kind of laid back element to it. And it's become very common in jazz, hip hop, fusion stuff, uh, especially with drummers like Chris Dave, Questlove, and so many other modern drummers. Corey Fonville will do it a lot. It's a very common thing, especially in in jazz and jazz, hip hop, fusion these days, um, is that Dilla feel. Our drummer, uh, Zach Graybill, the fantastic Zach Graybill, Zach Grooves on on YouTube. He plays Dilla beats sometimes too, and kind of that same feel, that laid back feel. Max, what do you think about about the the Dilla beat and the the way it feels? I don't know what you call it, but I love it. Yeah. Um. It it this track. We'll talk about some issues with it in a moment. But the way it starts out, we get that upright bass groove. I'm already liking this one more than others because of that bass groove and because of how the drums. Are, are laying that Dilla beat out. It just grooves a little harder um, and it speaks more to me. Um, I, I, I I love the feel that's going on and I'm, I wasn't quite sure how to describe it, but I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head at least as best as we can. Um, is there sort of, I don't know, drum machines being used to, I, this is just being played by Corey. So that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, so that's how it, it started was with drum machines. Is that's how Jay Dilla, you know, created that kind of beat. But now a lot of drummers, hip hop and jazz drummers, will recreate it and learn how to play it naturally. Which is hard. It's hard to play because it doesn't. It doesn't exactly line up with what you think of. You know, a straight or a swung beat. It's somewhere in between. So it's kind of hard to get the the feel for. Right. But if you can do it and do it well. It I mean, grooves hard because it's that it, we talk about right. it, the laying back and the push and pull of the beat, which is what this 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 drum beat does really well is kind of, you know, kind of mess with the beat, push it, pull it a little bit. Absolutely. What else happens in this track? So we get a Braxton Cook solo on this track, and it's just it's that very kind of typical Braxton Cook, his modern. He has a very modern um, alto saxophone sound. He uh, has use of different lines and some tritone substitution, which is you know a very hip thing to do. And I want you, I want to let you kind of talk about Braxton Cook's sound and his uh, his solo here. I think it's probably more uh, appropriate for you to get into it a little deeper. Sure, I I do think Braxton Cook comes out to me on this on this track called the corner. He has a nice sound, great articulation. He starts off easy with. Uh, repeated notes and shorter phrases. Eventually he gets all over the horn, but he takes his time a little bit. There's nice phrasing defined by his great use of space before getting busier after that first minute. He has great altissimo at the 50 second, uh, sorry, 57 second mark to the one minute mark. He plays a little out at the one minute to the one minute and 10 mark. 
Um, he's got some nice repeated notes and ideas used as well towards the end of his solo that are used well in moving along the full range of the horn. He has great lick development that brings out the full timbre and the sound of the alto saxophone. And uh, those moments where he's repeating notes and then moving um, that idea up a third or, you know, in different ranges of the horn, that's a lesson in and of itself that you should not be afraid to repeat the same note. Do not be afraid to repeat the same note twice and go from there. We've talked about it before, but here it's another lesson that Braxton Cook is delivering where he's offering so many ideas and they, they move so well intricately in and out of the previous idea. You know, it's, it's, it makes for a really well-developed solo, even though the, the track, which is the one big issue of the corner, is way too short. And they end rather abruptly. It's together with a hit on the snare drum that's audibly noticed. But I think they could have opened this up just a little bit. And I could have used some Braxton Cook versus Christian Scott on this one. And the bass groove is the bass groove is so killer. Chris Fun is so fun to listen to. Um, and so why not expand this? Maybe give the bass a bass solo some little, you know, a little bit more interaction. I'm disappointed with how short this track is. It's a moment where I just simply do not understand some of these modern cats where you have such a solidified groove, something that feels really good. You've got a great saxophone player who's who's giving you everything you need, you know, outlining a great solo, great groove. Why is this so short? Yeah, I don't, yeah. I completely agree with that. It's like, I don't know. I, yeah, it's way too short. I agree. I could go for this track being eight minutes long, a solo from each Christian and Elena as well, a bass solo. Give me everything. I just, Max, you know, if one thing you guys can tell from here is Max and I, we love the groove. Like we love when something's grooving, we want more of it, you know? And this is called stretch music for crying out loud. Like, stretch this one out i will so i agree with max i love the the way that this track sounds i just want more of it less than two minutes long come on the shortness of this track is antithetical to the purpose of the album yeah and i it's it's definitely i mean it's got to be on purpose that the tracks are short but why that's my question why i don't know i mean I mean, it's called the corner, so it's like, you know, corners are usually small in comparison to the extended wall that, you know, the corner of the wall comes from. I think the corner, it means like a busking feel, like playing on the corner. Oh, that would make more sense. So I think the reason that this track is, the way that I think of it, the way that I interpreted it, it was, this is like uh, just a group playing on the corner as you're walking by through the album. So that's the feeling that I got from it. Was it like you're passing by the corner? That's that's what I got from it. I'm not sure if that's what the intention was, but that's how I felt about it. I think that makes a lot of sense. But my only issue with that is usually when you're doing that, you're playing one song for a long time. And I would be there for 20 <laughs> minutes and listening to this. I know. So I, it seems like a missed opportunity to me. They had so much in it. And you're right. It's the whole thing is less than two minutes. It might be less than a minute 50 or a minute and a half. I'm not sure. It's like but somewhere it, in the minute and a half to two minutes, maybe like 145. I'm not exactly sure, but it's it's shorter than two minutes. 
And it's really unfortunate to me. And this is where I start to lose uh, some sparks of interest in this album is, is right here with the corner. Um, even though it is kind of one of my more favorite tracks, there there's just those things that are disappointing to me that I don't understand. Um, and, and so I'm at a loss and this is going to start to happen more as we get into the album. Cool. Let's get into, um, the next track on the album, which is entitled of a new cool max. Yeah, this is an original from Christian Scott. Again, the drums and the bass have the intro to set it up. It's a really cool groove. It's in four. The trumpet is not muted and seems to come out to me. So Christian Scott here does come out and, and shines more, um, which is what I've been waiting for in a couple of tracks. Uh, Christian Scott seems to blow over the beginning, even as the horns enter with the background goose egg part. Um, and then the trumpet will join in on the melody with the sax and the flute. And there's really great blending going on. Very professionally done. They're listening to each other. You know, 90% of playing is listening. And the blending is, is, a, is a, a moment where that sort of lesson comes out to the forefront to me. Um, and just for clarity, I know what you mean when you say goose egg. What do you mean by uh, background goose egg like park? Because uh, I know what that means. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I just mean um, longer held out notes. Whole notes think, and half notes, yeah. Yeah, I think whole notes or dotted half notes or half notes. because, And they're called goose eggs because if you look at, um, at, at a whole note on a uh, sheet of music notation and sometimes when you type it into finale or sibelius the actual note whole note itself will look like a goose egg yep because it's nice and open and it, it's not exactly a circle it's more like the shape of a of a big egg like or a an goose oval egg. yeah whereas, or an oval yeah whereas quarter notes and um eighth notes they're all cir- very circular uh Half notes and whole notes are ovular. So I knew what you meant there, but I thought that might go over some people's heads. So I wanted to stop you there and have, have you explain um, what you meant. So there are, whole, there are longer longer tones there, whole notes, half notes, dotted half notes, those kind of things. Correct. Yep. Um, and then the melody, again, is based on those longer notes that I was calling goose eggs. And, and there's, a, there's quite a bit of syncopated movement. So even though their longer notes are being... Um, they're moving from one note to the next, you know, usually on the ands of beats or, or not on B1 or 3. So that's cool to listen for. Again, there's an emphasis on sound and texture I'm getting. There's more in-the-pocket groove here and a better adherence to the four main elements of music, melody, harmony, rhythm, and meter. And so this is almost more of a straight-ahead what you would expect, um, you know, from a jazz group, not in terms of necessarily the composition itself, but the elements that create it. it it's a little more straight ahead. The sax solo comes first, and he begins pretty high on the horn with repeating notes and good use of space. Again, lessons and ways to use space and lessons and ways that you can repeat notes and make it for an interesting solo. It's not about the notes you play, but it's about the notes you don't play. So where are those spaces in between your improv phrasings, phrases, excuse me, and, and how do you connect ideas? And, and you got to use the space to your advantage because the, the rhythm is sometimes developed not through the notes you're playing, but the space in which you don't play. Yeah, and I definitely, I think that's a theme on this album. We get kind of a lot of that. The melodies aren't super intricate. There's a lot of like, the sounds in the album and kind of the space in between the 
the melodies in the album um, spe- are supposed to speak as much as the the rhythms and melodies themselves sometimes. That's right. That's right. Cook also uses some busier eighth note lines um, later on, but he doesn't overdo it. So another great moment there. Um, from three minute to three minute and three seconds, Braxton Cook is playing dotted syncopated notes and Fonville on the drums is copying his rhythm. So that's another moment where you hear that, you know, the, the, the adage I'm, I keep repeating, 90% of playing is listening. Where Corey Fonville is listening to what Braxton Cook is doing and he's reflecting it rhythmically and they're moving together. And, because, and you can only do that if you are listening to each other. And so even though Fonville is playing drums and normally you think about the drums as just outlining the basic groove and maybe accentuating different parts of the groove, there he's actually treating what he's doing in a way that complements the soloist that is, um, you know, maintaining his his improvisations, and they're interacting in such a way that makes for a a very interesting musical moment that that really kind of brought me back into the album, um, where I was so disappointed with what was going on in the shortness of the corner. Yeah, I definitely. Um... I understand what you're what you're going for there. I, I love Braxton Cook's solo. I think there's a lot of great elements. Corey's uh, Fonville's song. He's driving throughout. His sound is just he has a very driving feel sound on the on the drums. So yeah, he kind of drives throughout the entire song in the solo there. And I love the the interaction there and the, the listening there as well, Max. There's also a nice emotional lick with the lip fall that Cook plays from 322 to 327. I love those sort of extended lip falls or, or any sort of finger falls that players will use. And so that's another moment that uh, stuck out to me. And then we get a key solo and we're getting the piano sound, a lot of single lines with some left hand chordal interjection, good use of shorter phrasing that's built upon one another that intensifies the solo. And you can hear in moments, Corey Fonville is going crazy behind him. <laughs> yeah. So, Another moment to listen for the drum soloist interaction there. What do you think of that piano solo? Anything stand out other than that? Other than that, I think you hit it on the head. It's a nice solo. It's not anything crazy. Um, the left hand is really nice if you listen to the way that he develops the left hand throughout the solo. Um, maybe starting a little bit more rhythmically and then starting to incorporate it in with his right hand a little bit more and in with the drums. I think that that's pretty interesting. But yeah, it's a nice solo. The lines are on the right hand, but then bringing in the left hand a little bit more um, throughout. We also get Warren Wolf on vibraphone that solos next, and Fonville intensifies even more at certain moments what he's doing behind Warren Wolf. And there's some nice comping from the piano too. Um, and and we we know that comping stands for complementary, and to me that's exactly what the keys are doing successfully here. He is complementing the solo, and that's what you need to do if you are a comping instrument. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah, no, he's comping well. Yeah. I, I do like the vibe solo um, a lot. I think that it fits kind of the the vibe of the song. Um, so I, I'm, I'm digging it here. I like how this tune kind of feels a little bit more straight ahead. Um, it's, you don't have to get super straight ahead. This is stretch music. We understand what he's trying to do. But I appreciate kind of giving us that that format that we're kind of more familiar with, with um, the melody and then having some some soloists take extended solos. It's, it's nice to get that here, and I, I definitely appreciate it. 
Also, once the horn melody comes back in, there's some really nice rhythmic ostinatos that um, is being played on the cymbals behind that melody. And Christian Scott finally takes a solo with repeated backgrounds behind him. And it's the backgrounds almost sound like a cello or viola plucking that's mm-hmm. occurring. That was an interesting moment. Yeah, I wasn't exactly sure what instrument it was. It could be guitar. It could be who knows, honestly. I mean, they're they're going for some different sounds here, so I'm not exactly sure. And here they use a natural fade out again, but this one stands out to me. It's 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 better done in my opinion, and I think the bass comes out to me at the very end, and they end together on an extended hit. So to me, the ending of this one um, of a new cool is actually one of the better endings. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And this track is is um is a little unique, and I I I've, I've enjoyed this track. And like Max said, it kind of gets you back into the album a little bit for sure. All right, what do we got next? So next we have just kind of a, a short tune, um, an interesting feature. It's just a drum feature on the album. Um, there's a, it's, you know, African music influenced drum circle kind of feel to it. And it's cool. They have a mix of drums. They have African hand drums and they have the drum set as well. So I think it's it's just a cool drum interlude feature to have on the album and another ode to African music, which we hear pretty commonly in, in Christian Scott's music. Yeah, this is another reverence for African music. Um, it, there's also a nice double time feel by the mm-hmm. 52nd mark. You know, that's key to note. I think this is another example of what I was getting at earlier, where there's a lack of trumpet on a trumpet-led album. It's very interesting that this is occurring to me, and you, again, have to be so cool or so great at what you do to be able to get away with this, I think. I mean, there are certain cats who can do it and those who cannot do it or those who really want to do it or can't get away with it. Um, And one influence we mentioned was likely Miles Davis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's been one once or twice where, you know, on on an album, Miles did not play on on the on a track from that album. I'm thinking of Billy Boy in particular that just featured Red Garland in the trio um, for the whole song. and, And there was no trumpet. But here, we're, it seems like Christian Scott is doing it just a little too much for me, and it's starting to annoy me. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying there. I think this makes sense because this is a drum feature, so there's like there aren't any chordal or melodic instruments on, on this track at all. Um, so it definitely makes a little bit more sense on this one being as it is just kind of a, a drum circle kind of thing. Um, but I think Christian Scott can get away with it. Like you said, you have to be pretty... You have to be one of those guys to be able to do it. Um, and I think he is one of those guys. And I think he's really drawing on that kind of Miles Davis thing and able to get out of his own way. But I do agree with Max that there are times on the album where I want more from Christian Scott, which we've kind of already mentioned. One thing he's got going for him with that is he he wrote most of the songs. Yep. So compositionally, his he's influence very- on the music is there. Yeah, compositionally, he's, he's very present, even when he's you're physically not hearing trumpet on the track. So yep. that that's a great aspect of this album, too. And then with the next track, we get a song called Tantric. Um, this is a, another Scott original. I'm getting louder echo-like sounds, mm-hmm. and and there's a you know more more emphasis on on sonic production here. It's a slower four-four groove with constant sixteenth-note cymbal hits. So to me, those 16 notes on the cymbals, I think the ride cymbal came out to me um, quite clearly, and I 
I, I noticed that almost right away. It's almost a hip hop groove that's going on with, with that great ride symbol. And to me, there's some trap beat elements that came out or some almost trap beat rhythms that I think Fonville is playing on the closed hi-hat. It's a really neat drum groove, and there's a lot going on with the drums on this one. Yeah, for sure. It's like a pretty interesting sound because you kind of get like a a spacey feel to it mixed with like kind of that hip-hop trap feel in the hi-hat. I think that's a really good um, thing to point out there, Max, and it kind of creates this interesting sonic feature that we're getting here. We're also getting more muted trumpet from Christian Scott with his improvisations. It's it's miles like sparseness with intention and cool. And there's a lot of uses of, of longer notes, larger intervals that he uses at the ends of some of his, some of his phrasing, excuse me. And there's good range of the trumpet that's being used and a and a an exceptional use of dynamics also that's being sort of tamp uh tapered with um, moving downward at the end of a solo. There's a, just a great overall lingering um, day crescendo that extends and really moves um, the, the track along to a different section. There's also a lot of reverb used here and or delay effects. And it's just sort of a sonic aura that's taking place. Again, there's a Miles influence and a lot of fusion music going on. And that fade out is very smooth, very nice. Not much for me in particular here, other than the great drum groove and the cool background nice noises, excuse me. But after two minutes of this, um, I'm kind of over it, and it, it got me a little sleepy. So the whole track is like four and a half minutes, which isn't that long. But after two minutes, I was kind of over it. I don't know if you felt anything like that. I kind of, I, I feel like I disagree a little bit here. I think we get Christian Scott featured here and it kind of feels like he's in his element here with the kind of aspect of that stretch music feel. It feels like this is kind of stretched out in this spacey feel and he's just kind of playing within that. So I, I, I think that this track isn't the most interesting necessarily, but I think it does feature Christian Scott and we kind of get him, we get that feel from him and that kind of spaced out um, stretch kind of Miles Davis kind of feel from him. So I think that there's definitely something here for me and I, and I enjoy the, the drum groove and kind of Christian Scott's interaction with that, but I can see where you're coming from. It's definitely not the most interesting composition on the album, especially when you think of melody and, harmony and stuff like that yeah you know when you only think about the main four elements of music <laughs> you start to wonder hey what's going on here what's you know i i'm i'm at a loss with 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 some moments on this album and this is one of those that i just cannot seem to get over i've listened to the album a couple of different times and um I, I was thinking as I listened to it more, I would lose some of these initial annoyances of mine, but in fact, they become more concrete as I check this, those same tracks out over and over again. It just, I, I can't get over certain moments here. Yeah, I definitely understand where you're coming from. Let's move along to, so Max doesn't get any more annoyed. Let's move along to the next <laughs> track on the album, uh, the 10th track entitled The Last Chieftain. Um, this kind of has a, a similar sweeping. We get a lot of these kind of like 
sweeping melodies in this album that's like the way that i describe them they're kind of longer these sweeping throughout this the sound of the track melodies um so we're getting that again here you get kind of a more rock tone and vibe on this one uh we get guest guitarist matthew stevens matt stevens who we have um listened to previously on new standards volume one by terry lynn carrington which is grammy nominated so that's pretty pretty interesting so definitely go check out our review of that um and see you know what we think about it if we think it's uh grammy deserving so um cool fact there so yeah we're getting matt stevens on this track yeah that kind of more rock tone and vibe from the guitar here uh and then we get kind of like a smoother feeling on i think it's the bridge i don't i think it's like an aab form maybe um but then we get you know that smoother feeling into the bridge right into a christian scott solo and we're hearing his range right off the bat um starts with lots of long and sweeping kind of melodies and then gets into some more moving lines and i really one thing that sticks out to me is the interaction between the trumpet and the guitar during the transition of the solos i think it's really cool there's like some really cool interplay and kind of a passing of the solo from christian scott to matt stevens max what do you think about that transition there i love that moment of this track it's great you know first of all there's great calm response that's going on in that transition from the trumpet to the guitar solo again 90 percent of playing is listening they're listening there the interaction is is on point and it's a seamless fun and exciting transition you know it's not the usual tapering of one solo and then the start of another solo or sometimes cats will start their solo with the lick idea that the last soloist ended on here it's more than that and it's also executed um just perfectly seamless it's 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 constant musical development and it 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 elevates everything else that's going on to me and it it really came out to me that that solo to solo transition they're listening it's call and response so many basic elements of jazz just found in that moment um which also points to the fact that these are jazz players um Mm -hmm even though they're fusing so many other elements into it um the the history is still there in certain moments and that's definitely one of them and i think that's one thing that christian scott does well regardless of you know certain things and how you feel about certain things is he's doing what he's intending to do which is stretch the music and kind of give us different sounds but he there is a, a distinct recognition of the tradition of jazz and jazz playing so i think that that's one moment that really stands out there and i think that that's it's almost executed to perfection it feels like um so then we get into the guitar guitar so itself for matt stevens and he has a really cool uh diminished guitar lick at 315 that i like and then a good use of repetition from 330 to 337 and then there's kind of like this change in feel at 349 which is unique and the bass uh starts moving in eighth notes um which i thought was cool and then they kind of get back into the groove before going into the melody um max what do you think about that feel change and what's going on there with and during the guitar solo again chris fun is so fun to listen to yeah the bass player on this really comes out to me and i'm listening to the bass more so than i am the guitar during the guitar solo so it's another moment where the guitar uh seems to be less interesting to me than what's going underneath it (laughs) 
there was the bass earlier in the album it was the drums so here the bass is moving um all over but it's still complimentary it's still comping it's still you know present and listening to what's going on around it i love the eighth note driving repeated notes that move harmonically that is such a cool moment again i'm i'm constantly enamored with with what the bass is doing at moments on this track um and there's also some nice high note uh moments from the trumpet around the six minute mark i like and that helps to build an intensity for the next section and this ending is one of the best ones i think on the album it's continually driving and and always always moving yeah and so um one thing that we get the melody between the bass solo and that trumpet solo um that's right so but one thing that kind of leads me why are we getting the trumpet solos at the end of the tunes like why why are these features happening at these times? Like I, that's one thing that Max says, you know, like featuring Christian Scott on this album and, you know, sometimes it's kind of sparse and I just question like, why do we get the melody and then a Christian Scott? So it feels like it's kind of late in the track, but I do love the solo from Christian Scott. Um, I love the build and intensity throughout with the rhythm section. I think the rhythm section on this album, they're just doing a great job and Corey Fonville and, and Chris fun just really locked in and really, they know what they're doing within the music and it's, it's really cool to hear. Um, lots of high notes from Christian Scott and then moving back into some of those fluttering, uh, techniques and throughout the fluttering and high notes, there's kind of goes back and forth between that, which is cool. So we get some different kind of techniques and aspects from Christian Scott. And then I love the way that they drive through the ending, um, with that intensity intensity. And then we kind of get that resolution at the, at the very end of the song. I think this ending is really well done on this track. Right. There are endings on the album that are really well done and other ones that miss the mark. Um, but fortunately, this one is is one to listen to that I think, you know, it, it it's given attention mm -hmm. um, just as much as an intro or the melody or the solos. So I appreciate that. And then we have uh, one final track on the album called The Horizon. This is an original by the piano player, Lawrence Fields, and it, it's kind of starts out with almost like a piano trio with sort of percussive elements behind it before the drum set enters. And there's multiple keyboard parts going on, one of which is an ostinato that, that continues to, to go on. And, and there is a, a cool groove that's going on. Dwayne, what did you think about the groove on this track? I think, in my opinion, this is one of the best grooves on the album on this track. I love this groove. I you could play 10 keyboards on the same track and I'd be fine with it. So I'm cool with having some more keyboards on this track. That's right. I, I knew you would say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can never, I mean, just give me 10. Why not? Um, but no, so that is a cool feature and I, yeah, the groove is just great. Um, one thing about this track is I could have just gone for more max. I'll let you get into the track, but I just could have gone for more on this track, max. What did you, you know, what are you hearing here and what do you, you know, what do you think about it? I concur 1000%. I think some guitar would have been a nice feature to add in. Um, this this was screaming guitar solo to me and there wasn't one, you know, so that could have been a moment where they could have stretched out on an album called Stretch Music. I don't know. What an idea. Um, I will say you're right about that groove. It's almost headbanging and that cool piano ostinato really helps out in, in, in the feel of the whole track some repetitive lines from the left hand with chordal movements and the right hand that are going on. Then the groove kind of cuts out and it's ending the same way it started before fading on a pedal note from the piano. 
So all in all, it's, it's it's quite short. I could have used some Christian Scott, maybe some guitar solo, in my opinion. Uh, again, it's an example of too little trumpet on a trumpet-led album. I'm confused once again. I am glad it's included in the song list, as it is an original by a different member of the group, Lawrence Fields. And it's it's cool to have that, you know, uh, yet another original tune from another member on the set. But I just think it it's missing the mark, and it could have been used or utilized in a much better way. I I completely agree with that. I think that you could have I could have gone for more, and like you could have fleshed it out some and given me some more solos. To me, this feels like an interlude in the way that it's played. It feels like it it if you take it in its form and put it in the middle of the album, I'm not upset. But to be the finality of the album, lacking Christian Scott, lacking some certain things, I just doesn't feel like it resolves the album very well. I think that, quite honestly, like you could have ended on the last Chieftain, you know, like that, you know, that felt like it had more resolution to me. So this just feels a little bit out of place and a little bit underdeveloped. I love what they've got going. I just want more from it. So that's that's what I, I feel about about this final track on the album. That's a great point I was not thinking about, which is in the curation of the set list in the song order, I would not have put this last. I mm-hmm. think you're right that the 10th track seems like a, a closer, much more so than this 11th track. And it's another moment in a modern jazz album where that is occurring. We have seen that <laughs> in New Standards Volume 1. We have seen it, in in my opinion, in the spirit of N2, and we have seen it with Emmanuel Wilkins's album, The Seventh Hand, and it just keeps coming back. Why are these um, albums that are uh, you know a little more modern in approach and everything, but still grooving, why do they end this way in, in disappointing ways where it just doesn't seem like it's... It, it's in the right place that the tune that they're using or choosing to end on. I don't get it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's obviously a trend and there's obviously there's something like people are doing it and these people are, are very well accomplished. Like we have no gripes with any, these are all fantastic players. We've mentioned every single one of them. A thousand percent. Yes. But yeah, I, it seems I'd question the trend. I want to know why. So I'm, I'm with Max there. Um, I, I agree with what you're saying. Let's get into, um, before we have an aneurysm and hopefully, you know, maybe we'll come across a modern one that ends in a way that gives us some kind of resolution or some kind of finality. But until then, um, let's get into the not the top three and the not so hot track, uh, on the album. Max, why don't you go ahead and do your, uh, top three and not so hot first on this one? Certainly. I will say my top three was kind of difficult for me to pick. There were a number of tracks I really did enjoy. And then there were aspects of other tracks that I enjoyed that I just could not get over. And it was hard sort of compromising with myself Mm. to create a top three. And you and I have some differences in our top threes, I think because of that. Yep. But one of the tracks that was outstanding, in my opinion, that had so much development, such a great groove, such a great overall approach was uh, the, the track entitled West of the West. So that's my number one. Number two is the last chieftain or chieftain. Number three is the corner. So I love everything that's going on with the corner, and that's why I included it as my third in my top three. 
but it is so disappointing how short it is and they just didn't utilize everything they could have on that track in my opinion so much more could have been done but with the music that is presented to me i did enjoy it enough that i compromised and i said okay it's going to be my number three so that's why it's on my list um my not so hot is tantric um which was the one that that had a great feel and, and groove and, and sonic approach but it just lingered a little too much without more development for me and it kind of made me sleepy so i i think that track could go away or could have been tweaked a little bit or extended and maybe we would actually stretch out on that track because the name of the album is stretch music i don't know it's just a thought <laughs> yeah so i i definitely um can agree with you know, some of the points you make in your top three. I think that one thing that we both have to agree with, and I think most people that listen to this album would agree with, is that West of the West is just stands out head and shoulders um, on this album above the rest of the tracks. It's a killer tune, a killer composition, um, and the playing is fantastic. So I love that one. Uh, my number two, I actually went with A Sunrise in Beijing. I, I really love Elena... Uh, Pender Hughes solo on this one. I think the track is unique. It's got really good development. So yeah, I, I enjoy what's going on in that track. And for that reason, it's my number two. And for my number three, I went with, um, this was kind of a, a tough one. And the top three was pretty tough in the same way that Max, there are some songs that I, I really enjoy a lot of what's going on. Twin comes to mind um, in the way it's composed. And that track is really great, but it did lack some things for me. Um, I just really like that we got kind of a more traditional uh, feel from Of A New Cool. And I love, I just like that tune. I think the vibraphone uh, is super cool on that. And so we get kind of a, a more fleshed out experience from some of the solos there. And I think the solos are really well done. So I kind of like the the well-roundedness of, of that tune. And so that's why it made my top three. And then for my not so hot, I did just have one. And I'm going to add another one in there. And these two are not so hot for the same reason. Um, the first one is the corner, which is actually a Max's top three. And my second one is going to be the horizon and they're my not so hot for the same reason. It's just, they're not long enough and they're not like, they're such great ideas and the sound is great. The groove is great on both of them, such great grooves, but it feels like we've got this great groove and we don't do anything with it. And it's like that to Max and I, people who love a good groove and love, you know, stretching out a groove that is it, it hurts almost it hurts to hear that groove and be presented something and then not having much done with it so for that reason the corner and the horizon i think are both my not so hot tracks and there's so much potential there so i, I it's not that i dislike the tracks i just don't understand the treatment of the tracks themselves i was beyond disappointed with how short those were i included the corner as my number three because the groove was so enjoyable mm -hmm. and the sax solo was so enjoyable yeah. that i really dug it it's just it is way too short it probably would have been my, my number one if they had expanded it a little mm -hmm. bit added some christian scott maybe added some guitar some interaction maybe some horn battles i know that can get cliche and overdone but i think there could have been There's more something there more to do with it absolutely it seems unfinished yeah, I agree. Well, let's um let's you know move on from our top threes. I think those are cool, you know, unique top threes. And there's it was hard to pick a top three. Like Max said, there's some stuff on this album that I like, and then some, you know, it's hard to really 
decide what what your favorite is out of out of what's going on so i can agree with that let's move on into our overall thoughts and our ratings i'll go ahead and go first um so christian scott takes the title stretch music and applies it to his style and his approach to the music on this album he experiments with different instruments feels and textures all while keeping the music or music's origin in mind this album has a distinct attention to the textures that are conveyed, and it seems like that is where the emphasis is placed for Christian Scott and company here. We get the recording debut for Elena Pinderhues, who has since proven herself as one of the mainstays in modern jazz, and as always, I can't get enough of her playing on the album. She shows, shows her flexibility from tunes like Sunrise in Beijing to Liberation Over Gangsterism, Another standout on the album is Corey Fonville, who we've mentioned before in Butcher Brown's Camden Session. He has a unique and ever-driving uh, present feel and sound. His style is eclectic, ranging from jazz to hip-hop and some deep-pocketed funk. Um, so there's also, a, a, although brief, some very tasteful appearances from the young and talented uh, saxophonist Braxton Cook. So that is a positive thing about this album. It feels like for Christian Scott, this album is all about the sounds of the music, and you can tell he's very focused on the texture throughout his playing on the album. There is a very kind of Miles Davis, less is more approach being taken by Christian Scott on this one, and it's well done and stylistic, but there are some times when I want a little more in the way of solo development and maybe some bop-focused lines from Christian Scott. I just want a little bit more from you know some of what he's doing on the album. Um, because I know he's capable of it. I've heard Christian Scott play and I've heard him play live. I know what he's capable of. And so this just leaves me wanting a little bit more from him. Um, but this album gives you a good taste of what Christian Scott's about and what he's capable of in the current jazz landscape. There are many interesting moments to take note of, and there are many things that are musically very well done. There's some points where it does leave me wanting a little bit more, such as the solo section on twin. Um, I feel like I could have gotten a little bit more out of that. And those two tracks that we talked about, The Corner and The Horizon. Um, it's definitely a good album to take a look at if you're interested uh, into getting into Christian Scott's music, though, and kind of understanding what he's about and what you know what his, his music feels like. So for that reason, I think this is a solid album. It's one to check out. Um, I enjoy listening to it, especially certain tracks. West of the West is one to put on a jazz playlist. That's one to, to really like take a listen to. So I gave it a 7.8 out of 10 on this album. Not bad. Um, yeah, I, I think you make some great points there. I, I think there are many moments on stretch music that reveal, them, reveal themselves to be awesome, attention-grabbing musical masterpieces, while other moments make my head spin into a state of confusion. I was disappointed with a number of things here. First, there's a considerable lack of trumpet on at least three of the tracks, this practice happens throughout jazz history, yet I'm not sure about three songs or more either having limited trumpet or no trumpet at all. Secondly, if an album's title uses the word stretch, one would imagine that musical stretching would be a considerable aspect to most tunes on the album. Yet it seems as if some selections are actually way too short. The corner and the horizon are case in point. Maybe Christian Scott is stretching the bounds of the definition of the word stretch, but any way you slice it, the corner is just too short. Also, a few of the song endings lack attention. Some added sounds or electronic attributes are overdone to me. I get a sense of inconsistency with this album. 
As one song gets really grooving, it's as if the next tune will be lacking. Added instrumentalists like Elena Pender Hughes and add greatly to this album. Elena's work on Sunrise in Beijing and Liberation over Gangsterism is dynamite. Braxton Cook is really cooking on the corner despite the shortness of the tune. Bassist Chris Fun is really fun to listen to, and I mean it. Chris is grooving in the pocket and always listening. Fonville on drums is a treat to listen to and is likely the most consistently interesting player on the record. All things considered, this is a good album from Christian Scott, also known as Chief Jean Atunde Ajua. It's got great grooves, nice interactions, and directional, interesting instrumental solos that make a, uh, that are a key part to this recording. There's an appreciated, evident influence from Miles Davis in many moments. These songs are musically intricate and beyond interesting, with enough feel-good moments to glue your attention. It's an album that contains significant meaning as well. I'll be sure to visit it now and then. However, it will likely never meet the favorites shelf on my record shelf. So it won't, it won't really make my personal record collection, but it is worth checking out. My overall score is a 7.3 out of 10. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I think you make some really good points. I thought, uh, I thought you were about to go off on the rails there at the beginning there, Max. Um, I, I really wanted to, but I am sparing the public from a rant so i won't do it i said what i needed to say yeah but i think all in all despite you know what things we might think you know are you know we critique in this album that it there are some things that are really well done and you know the theme of the album is there so i you know i think that um you know it it's definitely worth checking out and so our combined our jazz jam score on this one is going to be a 7.6 out of 10 and i think that's a, a fair rating and um you know consistent with with what we've got going on so yeah definitely check it out if you like christian scott um some of the tunes are definitely interesting and you might agree that some don't give you as much as you want so um you know we're interested to know how you feel about it definitely check out um our website that we have it's in the show notes uh it's a great place to go look at our power rankings you can see how this compares to some of the we talk about the other albums that we've reviewed when we're talking about these albums and comparing some of the modern albums so you can see how this one kind of stacks up against those albums and kind of read about those and see what we think about those albums as well so our website's a great place it's got links to our instagram our spotify everything you could need is is on our website so really cool place to check out and maybe get some ideas of albums that you might want to listen to. So, um, yeah, that was basically, that's our review of, of stretch music, how we feel about it. Uh, let's get into what we're going to be getting into next week. Next week, we're going to be doing a classic album and we decided to go with a, a heavy hitter on this one. Um, we're going to be doing something else by cannonball Adderley. These classic albums, there's so many that are just like, you know, top shelf, records so we, we're getting to them as we can while mixing in some of the you know the different icebecs and uh different things that we need to cover as well so this is one we had to get into and we're going to be getting into it next week max how do you feel about getting into to something else and miles davis we spoke of mile dave miles davis a lot on this one so we'll get some miles davis yes there is that miles connection 
Um, and on that album, something else, Miles is more of a sideman. And that's mm-hmm. one of the few instances where you'll see that. And Cannonball Adderley is really the, the leader on the album. And it features an awesome uh, uh, rhythm section, too. You got Art Blakey, Sam and Hank Jones on it as well. So a lot of key players, great compositions, um, great versions of standards. You know, that version of Autumn Leaves is well known, is um, is played really well, and, and Miles adds a lot to that track. And so there's a lot to discuss and go over with something else. It's one of the albums that one should include in a in a complete record collection. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's the first time we're gonna be getting into any Miles Davis on the the um the podcast. So that's it's been a long time coming. We're definitely gonna be doing Miles Davis albums. We're saving kind of blue for like a, a milestone, maybe a fiftieth um, you know, episode or something. But so it'll be cool to hear Miles Davis and we're just gonna get him as a sideman first with Cannonball and on such a great album. So I'm super excited to get into it uh next week. Make sure that you join us for that episode and check out um what we're doing on our website and i just want to say thank you for listening to our review of stretch music by christian scott and this has been an episode of the jazz jam podcast for max levy i'm Dwayne gunnels and we'll catch you next time mm-hmm.